Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, it is our great pleasure to have Steph Gerpe on the line. Welcome, Steph. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And I have my handy-dandy, trusty co-host, Mandy Georgeoff. Welcome, Mandy. Hi. Welcome, Jeremy. Hi, Steph. Hi, Mandy. Good to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Steph is the worldwide leader for service delivery at Glint LinkedIn. You may not know this, but LinkedIn bought a company called Glint a few years back. And Glint is in the business of uh, being a people success platform that helps increase employee engagement. Uh, Because Steph has been a longtime customer success leader, we're going to talk today about the collaboration that can and should exist between CS and sales, both pre-sale and post-sale. Before we do that, Steph, I always like to ask folks a little bit about themselves to get to know you. I'll give you give you uh, your own choice here. So, either uh, maybe a favorite book, particularly in the customer success world, that you love. I have read a bunch of those too, or an interesting or unusual hobby that people may not know about you. One book that comes to mind that has had an impact on kind of how I lead in in the CS world is, is The Power of Moments um, by Chip Heath uh, and Dan Heath. It, it's been a really impactful. Um, concept for me as a CS leader to think about how the individual engagements that you have with customers, um, you know, or anyone that you're working with can have a big impact and how you can really grasp onto those engagements to really form trust, which as many of us who are in the sales or CS world know, trust is everything as you're building relationships. So that, that book has had a really powerful impact on me. You hit one I have not read, but is on my list because I'm a monster fan of Chip and Dan Heath. Their their books are so, so good. And I think that's one of their most recent ones. Yeah, it is. Yep. Well, Steph, I'm a newer leader in our enterprise mm-hmm. segment. About a year now. And so one of the things that I know is paramount in my role as a frontline leader is hiring. And I, I guess I'd love to ask you, and, and some of this might be, as you think about the mantra that is part of Chip and Dan Heath's book and the power of moments and creating trust and credibility with your customers. How do you incorporate that into your hiring practices? Yeah, there are two things that I think about a lot when I'm when I'm hiring a team. One is I really like to find people who are customer obsessed, right? So not just excited about whatever, you know, product that we're selling, but really have that passion for creating value and seeing a, a customer's um seeing their story come to light, right? And, and a lot of times that means that that individual digs deeper to understand the goals of the customer and not only understands those goals, but continues to carry them through the engagement post-sale, but also pre-sale, right? So what would make this a wild success for you as an organization? And can I keep bringing us back to that point as I sell or as I renew? A lot of time I, I found that those individuals that are kind of keying back to that impact and that success criteria have the most successful engagements with their their customers. So I really look for that obsession with like customer outcomes. The second one, and I've learned this myself in this industry, has really been a bit of passion for the product. Um, and I know not everybody feels like that's important, but I've I've worked for organizations where I've kind of lost that passion for like what we do as a company. And you can fake it for for a little bit, but I found that if you're really passionate about what the organization does, the products that you're selling, um, you can tell it in your own way and relate it to your own experience, your own life. I found that that you're you're going to have a more effective CS team. And I, I bet that that is relevant on the sales side too. Great tips. And I, I agree with you. I've 
I've sold places where I wasn't as passionate about the product. Yeah. Here I'm really passionate about it, right? Because it, it's a, a problem we solve that I feel so viscerally. So I felt like I imagine you do too at, at, in your work. Absolutely. How do you test for customer obsession in an interview? Yeah, good question. So I usually ask for experiences that that individual had where they've been able to prove a transformation, right? So like asking them to go back to an example of a customer and it, it may have been, you know, their most challenging customer engagement. So maybe it wasn't necessarily something that comes to mind as the easiest thing that they've ever done. But tell me a story of, of transformation where, you know, you got to know a customer really well and what their challenges were, their pain points were, how you linked the challenges to the solution that, that we were providing. And then how did you not only show their transformation, but maybe even create like advocacy in that client, right? So that they become a champion for for what we're selling or what we're doing. So typically that might come to light in um, transformation and business outcomes, but it could also be creating a, you know, a client champion that will then go out and be referenceable for, for you for years to come. So I usually base it on experience and tell me a time where you've seen that happen and, and what was your role and how did it make you feel? Yeah, on that point, on a couple of those points, I mean, one is I know from, again, talking to that leader at American Express, Yeah, the employees there would carry around you know, basically business cards, but they weren't business, mm-hmm. but they were business cards, but on the back was this thing that basically said, like, call me if you want a job <laughs> yeah. to a Starbucks or they went to a restaurant or whatever, and they got exceptional customer service, right? Like mm-hmm. those are the people who are wired to delight. Absolutely. I'm always looking for sort of trade-offs. And one thing some people will say, like, is you can't do magic moments for everybody. Mm-hmm. A, quote unquote, it doesn't scale. Yeah. Or B, that you, you set this expectation with each magic moment that like the next service interaction is going to be equal, if not better. Yeah. I'm curious what your thoughts are on, on, on that paradox, if you will. Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's a really good point. And I think it's something that our team, my team at, at Glint has the pleasure, I think of being challenged with because we've had really great, um, you know, customer stat scores for quite a while. And I think every time we have a CSAT survey go that goes out or an NPS survey that goes out, it's almost like this, weird paradox of like, gosh, I want it to be high, but if it's too high, will we will we ever be able to kind of keep that momentum, right? So you kind of want to temper it a little bit. I think I always bring my team back to the fact that like moments can be big or small, right? As you're engaging with with customers and you might not always have um, every customer engagement turn out to be the one that is your transformational story or the one that is the customer advocate. But each one, I think, allows you to take moments from it and apply it to kind of the greater good or the, the bigger picture of that. So I think that's what I'd always encourage my team to go back to is think of everything as having its place in that broader story of, of creating value for your customer and and, and for you as um, a CS or a sales rep as well. Like even failures, I think, can be a part of your ability to sell better or to position a service or deliver a service better. It might not feel like that in the moment, but you can, you can apply it you know, moving forward. What's a recent example of maybe one of your team members taking initiative to deliver a small or large moment to your customers? Yeah, I've got two examples that come to mind, two very different examples. One would be, we see in CS, CSMs that tend to build the the greatest trust with their clients. It's when they know them, not only on a professional level, but can find that right balance of knowing individuals personally too. So when you ask the questions as you're starting calls, you know, how's your family doing? Or or getting to know that customer a little bit more to know, like, do they have an appetite for that sort of chit chat is also <laughs> something that, that I think our CSMs learn. Like how much do they want to engage in that personal banter? 
But I actually had one of my CSMs, you know, ask the question, how are you doing? And found out that uh, the individual that they were working with had, um, you know, cases of COVID in their family, went out of their way to send a gift basket, right, to the clients. And that was just one thing that wasn't a moment that mattered in business outcomes, but it certainly mattered to that customer. And the next time I guarantee that we have a tense situation or an escalation, like they will go back in their minds to that moment that that truly mattered, you know, and that care that was expressed. And I think that it was authentic too from from the individual. So that was definitely one that comes to mind and just goes back to building relationships and, and how you can leverage those relationships too in an authentic way. The second one is one that is, I think, becoming more um, prevalent in our Glint landscape and that we're part of LinkedIn. My CSMs who take initiative to create cross-line of business value. So for example, if they have a customer that's also a LinkedIn um, learning customer or LinkedIn talent customer, you know, our CSMs aren't always in the mindset of cross-selling like, like sellers might be. But as a CSM, those who go out of their way to, to reach out to their CS peer in LinkedIn to say like, what sort of results are you seeing for your customer in this area? And is there a story of value that we can weave together across you know, Glint outcomes and LinkedIn learning outcomes, that in our business is, is going to come. Like we'll start creating scripts for that for our CSMs, but that's truly a meaningful conversation. If our CSMs can deliver that storyline in advance of the customer asking for it, that's definitely, um, you know, a meaningful, I think, course of action for our team to take. A big part of my success, I would attribute to the relationships I've built on the CS side of the house. Yeah. Right. So how should sellers go about forging a strong relationship with their CS counterparts? Yeah, I think one thing that that's at that core is just understanding the two worlds and how they connect. So a lot of the the uh, account executives that I work most closely with, like know some of the challenges that come with delivering, like once the dust settles and the contract is signed, um, I think it's it's really helpful to have a sales leader that will continue to engage for a bit of time to make sure that there is that nice transfer uh, and handoff from sales to delivery. It doesn't mean you have to join every call. We certainly know that um, the head, you know, you should stay in, in, in the sales territory and ensuring that we can each do our roles. But I really enjoy having sales individuals who can kind of ensure that there's that nice transfer um, from from pre-sale to post-sale. So that's always helpful. You know, I think it always helps to to kind of sell according to what the product can do, which is kind of a <laughs> kind of a, a given. I just had a really great experience having um, sales individuals that are willing to ask questions, you know, before they get into situations of, of not really knowing how something works, right, or how something will be delivered. I guarantee like nine, 10 times out of 10, I would rather sit on pre-sale calls and talk about how something will work versus afterwards kind of resetting expectations, right? And having those tense dialogues. And I found that um, sometimes sales leaders, I don't know that they want that they ask because they think that maybe we don't have the the time allocation for that, or, you know, it's not part of how we work to kind of engage pre-sale and to help sell, right? But to me, I would just, I would so much prefer to have those conversations and to kind of dive into those topics pre-sale and really get some of that out there versus kind of course correcting in the future. And I think a lot of sellers that I work with do a great job with that um, and just understand that it's better to just set proper expectations, right? Those CS folks have been instrumental to me in helping me and my sellers and, and also maybe have helped me develop my customer voice, right? I mean, as a seller, yeah. 
there's a moment where you can build credibility by saying no. The, the platform isn't designed to do that. Here's why. And so that's we, that spin. Yeah. It's not spin. It's authentic, which is to say, yeah, the platform doesn't do that. First, help me understand because we could probably get there a different way. Um, but also we our customers guided us to develop it in a different manner. And let me explain it to you. And I yes. found my CS partners have been instrumental in helping me tactically tactically understand why we make those decisions. It's such a good point, right? Because you can, um, and this is why I said at the beginning that not every CSM that I work with, that I, I work with or, or works with me wants to engage in those conversations because it's sometimes it's hard. It's hard to deliver the no with the context of why it's a no, because I, I don't, I don't ever want to be on, on sales conversations and just answer with a no and then just kind of leave it at that. I always like to, before I engage frame the no and frame it into something that's no, because to give the broader context or be authentic to say, you know what, like we just haven't tackled that yet as a, a product team. And this is why, right. And this is what we're going to do about it. And have you considered these alternatives to, um, to reaching your outcome or bringing the the prospective customer back to maybe the solution that you think you need isn't the solution that you need. What's the problem? Tell us more about the problem that you're experiencing and maybe we can actually give you a better way and between us, one that our product supports, right? Um, but to tackle that that problem. So it's, it, that was a good call out and it's not not spin at all, right? It's, it's authenticity, right? But it's making sure that you're kind of playing in that gray area and not shutting a deal down, actually contributing to to moving forward, but in a way that, provides for a solution that's that's within the platform. And using customer voice, which I think is so right. Cool, right, which is it always, 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 our roadmap is dictated by our customers. Yeah. And a lot of times I'll also try to bring that customer into the fold of like, what types of customer advocacy programs do we have? So once you become a, a part of our client base, like how can we get your, your voice involved, right? And how can we make sure that you have a channel to the folks that are building out our platform? Because that a lot of times validate some of that concern around being able to see that you know, fully thorough. I guess for a bit of context on your your structure with sales and service, right? The I guess the typical SaaS structure is you've got AEs who are, well, I guess SDRs who are teeing up meetings, but AEs who are managing opportunities to close. They then either hand off immediately or hold the account for some period of time. And then a CSM or CSMs get involved after that, as well as potentially an account manager who uh, who manages the account. Are, are, do you guys have that structure? And uh, sorry, I missed one more important role, which is like a product specialist or a sales engineer who's involved in the pre-sales process as well. Yeah, good question. So we we do have that more of a traditional structure, right? Where we'd have um, an AE handing off to what's called a relationship manager at Glint and LinkedIn. And that's kind of that overall account manager that would ultimately be responsible for renewals or future product needs. Um, our CSMs, and this is not always consistent, but our CSMs actually do engage pretty much day one. So some in some organizations, you'll see an implementation team that will kind of step in, help build um, the product to a certain set of specifications and then hand off to CS. But we've actually found a nice value in having that um, that single person kind of be introduced right away to have the handoff from sales, get the information around um, what will create success for that client and then have that CSM see it through. And then we've got this balancing act then between the CSM and the RM as it pertains to value. So we have QBRs delivered by both our CS and our RMs. So our RMs talk jointly deliver those. Yeah, our RMs talk a lot about the value and how we tie that to what you have today and what you might need tomorrow. And then our CSMs actually um, 
bringing that to life. So like, how have you used our product? And what are some of the stories that we're seeing within your org that are justifying staying with Glint, right? And and that, um, you know, it's been a bit of a journey for us to find the right voices for each of those roles. But I think at the end of the day, it it really helps to have um, the CSM involved because it's not only about how can you spend more money with us? It's it's also about the value and the engagements that we're having with you on a daily basis that then lends itself to, hey, would you like to buy more? <laughs> how are you, ca- uh, having worked at other places where we're trying to quote unquote capture the value that's been delivered, it can be so incredibly hard to capture hard dollar value. H- how do you guys go about capturing value that would be included in a QBR? Mm-hmm. So we, we look at a couple different things. We look at, product usage metrics, um, which I think can can tell part of the story, right? But it's it's linking the usage to true outcomes of success. So we we work on storytelling as well. We ensure that our CS and our RM team members are able to um, to surface success stories um, from our platform in those QBRs and link it back to the product usage. We also in our platform have the ability to do, if a customer wants to do this, linkage metrics as well to their customer outcomes. So um, if, for example, they are um, an organization that uh, is you know, an airline industry, for example, if they um, measure mishandled bags, how many times do we lose bags, right? Um, if they provide us those metrics, we can actually build connections between what our platform does and those types of metrics. Again, this could vary widely across the industry that we're working with, but that is something that has allowed us to really show like true hard value uh, to the folks that are looking to see if our product has made that impact beyond just how engaged is our workforce. Got it. So if somebody were using the Glint platform and you knew what what their baggage handling loss rate was versus people who had not used it, you'd be able to see the, the lift. Yeah. Or even just for the organization, if you were able to show that there was a correlation between engagement and mishandled baggage rates, right? Like that could show that organization that keeping your employees engaged could, you know, result in outcomes for your business that are favorable. Um, that's just an example of, of, I think, in a QBR, linking it to true value, right? Because a lot of organizations, I think, are coming around to engaging your workforce um, being really important, right? But there are still some leaders that that don't buy it yet, right? And, and we're, we're working with them, obviously, but want to see, like, is there a true linkage between the things that we care about as a business and how our workforce is doing? Are your CSMs responsible for putting those, pulling all that together, aggregating it, putting it into some sort of QBR presentation format for the customer regularly? Yeah, that's a good question. We have some tools on our platform that we're trying to build and scale today that will almost like a click of a button produce that sort of information. Now, the, the business outcomes are a little bit trickier. You know, customers have to agree to give us that data to correlate it. So yeah, so they'll have to pass that back. But we are working with um, our internal product teams to create um, really easy reports that will give our CSMs the story. And all they'll have to do then is apply it to the organization that they're working with. And I think that's very important, by the way. I think being able to put uh, content like a QBR together and not waste time on trying to get the data, but spend your time on the story that's something that we focus so much, so much on this past year, and we'll continue to do so for our teams. Us too. No, you're right. The the true value is in the conversation and the narrative, right? We learn from the data, but I appreciate that because I don't. I think a lot of organizations are struggling to get those push of a button reports, right? Like we are too, and so I'm cognizant of the fact that it's a big, can sometimes be a burden on our CSMs to ask them to co- to collect and aggregate with data 
and pull out the insights and schedule 14 people's calendar. Like there's a lot on a CSM's plate. I think delivering an exceptional PDR is aspirational, but I recognize that it can also be really hard to pull off. Totally. And it, it took us a long time to get our CSMs bought into the concept of having, we call them Glint partnership reviews. So it's really an overview of um, the partnership, where you are in the partnership, um, how are you using the product, but we always tie them back to the story. And we actually found that our CSMs were not uh, producing them at the, or, or we're not ha- scheduling these meetings at the rate that we wanted them to schedule them. And we found out that it was, a lot of it was operational. Like it's not easy to get to, to this information, but we also uncovered like a, a skill set gap. Some of our CSMs just weren't comfortable having that value-based conversation. And so we found that we wanted to actually train them up a little bit on how to have that story and how to engage the customer. So like leading with questions was a skill set that we that we also taught our CSMs. And I know that this works for um, for sales folks too. And that is don't don't put it all on you. We don't want this to be a presentation, right? We want this to be a dialogue. I mean that's such a pain, painful experience when you're on a QBR and you're just reading. You know, presenting slides to a customer and they're not engaged. So we really tried to train our CSMs to look at it as a dialogue and to prep your customer with questions and have them come prepared to discuss like, what can we do better? Right? And what are we doing really well? It's such a great opportunity too, to sort of cross-pollinate best practices between sales and CS, right? So oh, absolutely. I imagine there's a lot of AEs in your organization that are super comfortable leading those more question-based dialogues, right? Yeah, one one collaboration point that we've really honed in on too is the, the framework for that value story that our CSMs use in their QBRs comes from sales. Like we, we use the same framework. We have the, a handoffs process, right? And our most successful CSMs that have those really impactful QBR conversations are basically tying that story back to like, why did I glint, right? Like, what are our sellers uncovering for us? And that's why, again, I go back to that collaboration. Like, I really think it's so beneficial to have our AEs and our CSMs really lockstep in that handoff process because we get so much intelligence from that handoff that becomes the basis for the customer's value evolution. And that's the panacea, right? Where you're able yeah. to have a great pre-sales experience, a smooth handoff, and then six months later in a partnership review, the AE is is you know reflecting back on why they absolutely have, their CSM is bringing it full circle to say, and here's what we've accomplished. And then there's if all of those things line up, there's an there's a natural opportunity to ask about expanding the partnership, and it feels authentic and feels customer first. Right. Absolutely right. And I, I I love that as a as a vision. And I love that also that you guys uncovered that maybe some of the reasons that CFMs aren't doing it as frequently. It's hard to do. And we had to think about frequency too. So one of the other things with scale is like we really did have to look across our client segment and realize like who do we want to have these conversations with more often? Who do we want to maybe push to a more, you know, tech touch is probably the wrong way to say it, but we are exploring some um, mechanisms to have some of those. QBRs, at least the content delivered in a different way. So can we send them a newsletter? Can we send them a, you know, an automated slide deck that kind of points out what they're doing and what materials they can leverage? And that way you're touching every segment of your organization, but not having it have to be a people delivered or person delivered engagement, which won't scale as you grow your client base into the thousands, right? For a, a larger enterprise, a more strategic relationship, even though they're called quarterly business reviews, I find they're often not actually quarterly. They're often mid-contract reviews. What, what is your target frequency for doing? I'll call them, what do you call them? GPRs, GPRs. right? Yes, yes. So we do, you know, we target quarterly, but we we put this back on, on our account team. So our account team being 
the AE transitioning, and then also the RM and the CSM. We also have a consultant role in our organization too. So they they also come together as part of our, our account team. We really want it to be the cadence that aligns to the customer's um, deliverables with us. So it depends on you know, how often are they engaging? How often are they using our platform for surveying? Um, we also, you know, we use them as ways to, to course correct too, or to celebrate um, accomplishments, right? So if, if we're recognizing that something's not going well in the partnership, we'll pull together a QBR. And that might have a different flavor than a QBR that you might pull together that is a, wow, look at this milestone we just accomplished together. Let's celebrate that and let's use it to leverage and propel us into, into the future of our partnership. But we have different talk tracks and different slide decks that actually align to the types of conversations that you might be, that our CSMs and our RMs, our relationship managers might be finding themselves in. And that's helped too to tell our CSMs that it's not a one-size-fits-all conversation and it's not always quarterly. Sometimes it's twice a year and that's all you can get, right? Sometimes customers want to talk to us monthly about the partnership and we'll work with them based on that. But it's, it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all uh, for this conversation. While we're talking about strategic accounts, the, I, I'm so glad you're on the show yeah. because I have all these, uh, there's all these questions in the customer success world that mm-hmm. there's, there's no probably one right answer to. But one of the big ones is dedicated csm versus uh i mean i don't know what the right word yeah. is but like pods well actually it's yeah, probably like yeah. pods and pools right mm-hmm. like the pod might be a small group that you're going to interact with the pool would be right you go you go right in uh and, and first first you know first person to serve gets the call right for our um and this is just in, in our business but i think it probably is is parallel in a lot of industries we have found that the assigned, we try not to use the word dedicated because some customers interpret that as like our CSM has no other clients. So we try, we, try, we try to use assigned CSM, but we have found that that point of continuity works well when you get up to, you know, organizations that have 5,000 or more employees for my particular business segment. And that's, that's really because of the fact that we like to have the knowledge of their configuration. How do they use our platform and just ensure that we have that Kind of single thread of, of intelligence on the customer, but because we 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 have that approach, we also need to have approaches that align to our mid market and our smaller corporate um, corporate customers, and that's where we've introduced that concept of a team of experts, which kind of behind the scenes is that more pooled approach where um, we have tech touch engagements with the customer when they do need to reach out to us, they have an ability to do that, and we assign the resource that aligns best to their needs. And there's a ton of leverage in that approach. Um, and I talk about this a lot too, that pooling your resources together allows the customer to hopefully have an experience where their question is targeted and answered in a targeted way based on the resource that aligns best, whether it be best practice guidance or technical advice that they might need. It creates the illusion of, gosh, there's a lot of people available to me where in it, from a delivery standpoint, you're not having to assign one person to that, right? And you're trying to really ensure that you have an efficient way um, to, to engage based on um, an alias, right, for example. So I think there's a, there's a definite use case for that pooled team of expert approach. And we've actually given our sales teams PDFs that just speak to that approach because one thing that was getting in our way was, you know, customers were seeing this a la carte menu of like all the different types of support that you can receive, knowing that we want you to choose <laughs> the, the pulled approach. But if we talk about the pulled approach in a way that really screams the benefit to the customer and only show them that, that's really where we started to get a lot of customers interested in it and really thriving under that model is when we pr- proposed it to them as the model that was for them. 
versus the lowest tier of support that was available. <laughs> right. Sounds so simple. And that mutual commitment, right? Yeah. Of, no, 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 we selected this together, right? Which is important. And as long as I think you're transparent yeah. about the limitations of that model and the customer yeah. can make a decision, right? If they would like to purchase additional support or be in a different tier or something like that. You know, I think that transparency is your friend in those conversations. Yeah. And we also, we made the decision to align a lot of self-serve capability um, to that team of experts too. And the way that we talk about that is we really empower our customers. We get them up to speed. We, we train them on our platform and then we give them the ability to work in our platform at their own speed and pace, right? And the empowerment message helps a lot too, because a lot of times customers, um, they feel restricted sometimes if they're just working with one CSM and a project plan and they don't have as much ability to kind of go in and just do their own thing. And so the the self-serve alignment with the team of experts or the pooled model, I think has allowed us to get the most success out of that approach. Well, Steph, I'm so excited to have had you on yeah. this success, which we we only do occasionally. And I have so many questions. If people do want to connect with you, I'm going to guess, given where you work, yeah. how you're question, but what's the best way for folks to, to find you? Find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> I think I have to say that. <laughs> yeah, listeners, it's uh, Steph, S-T-E-P-H, yeah. and then Gerpe, G-E-R-P-E. That's right. Yeah. Steph, thanks again so much for being on. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Steph. Thank you. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast. 